Hi, I'm your host, Susan Nay. Welcome to the podcast series, HR Inside Out. It's a series designed to help you demystify HR and the human resource processes. We're going to talk about people management and get the goods on and see how all this stuff works. You're going to hear from everyday heroes and get their perspectives as we touch on a wide variety of topics, topics that impact us in our work and in our work environments. You'll find nuggets for your treasure chest of learning. Hopefully you'll discover insights for your personal and your professional growth. I'm glad you're here. I suspect it's because you want to be the very best version of yourself, your personal best, and that you get understanding these systems and processes will help you on your journey, on your path. You ready to dare to soar? Want to join me at flight school? Let's do this. Thanks for joining me today. Hi, welcome to the podcast series, HR Inside Out, demystifying HR and people management. I'm your host, Susan Nay. And a very warm welcome to Mark S. Miller coming to us from White Plains, New York. Welcome, Mark. It's- oh, hi, Susan. It's, a, it's so great to, to see you and hear you. And I'm so happy about some of your podcasts, which I've had the pleasure to listen to. And you set the bar so high, I'll do my best to meet that bar and <laughs> eager to, and ready to share and have some fun while doing it, which I know we always tend to have that. So that'll be great. I absolutely agree. So thank you. Um, I'm going to just give a little bit of information about your background, and then we're going to get into some questions. Um, Mark's a nationally known independent consultant on all aspects of technology solutions for human resources. His consulting firm is a sole proprietorship, now in its 35th year, and his industry visibility and New Yorker attitude has made him one of HR technology industry's most recognized, very definitely invigorating and creative voices. <laughs> now, besides consulting with his clients on HR technology strategies and software evaluations, Mark is also an adjunct professor teaching HR management and HR systems at NYU Tandon, Manhattan College and Long Island University's Lucky Students. He is also often a frequent uh, keynote speaker at numerous both HR and HCM technology meetings, both industry focused, and at many HRMS software producers user conferences. Uh, I know his blogs and his webinars are always well, well viewed and well attended. And on top of all of this, Mark is also the author of two books, and we're going to dive into both during our podcast. The first being Heroic, Heroic HR, and the second, The Death of HR, Who Killed H. Harriet R. Rose job, both a cautionary tale and a detective story. So foreshadowing, foreshadowing. So Mark and I met many years ago now when I was sent to Toronto to take an introduction to HR technology course. I was working with the British Columbia Institute of Technology and Mark was the instructor. That was now many decades ago. Our We've remained friends through the years. Our daughters have both grown up. These connections are truly important and fun. And I have to share that I even got to introduce my mom to Mark when she and I visited the the Big Apple. Um, So just lots and lots of great memories. So Mark, thank you, old friend. I appreciate you saying saying yes. 
And I'm going to start us off with your latest book, The Death of HR, Who Killed Harriet Rose Job? The H for Harriet and the R for Rose. Right. Please tell us, listeners, about the book and what led you to write it. Oh, boy. Um, I've always had the thought that HR job had to be embodied by a person. And it dawned on me that in my mind, it always seemed to be an older female working in a cubicle somewhere in a large company. And that the perception uh, of the people in HR over the years, and this has been proven by my students uh, even today, that HR is, is, uh, is a, a person that handles paperwork and is a middle person and is usually embodied by an older woman. And the research, by the way, I was questioning when I named her Harriet Rose Job, which was always in my mind, those initials, H for Harriet, it just popped out, Rose for mm -hmm. Rose. Uh, one of my good friends said, well, why don't you make it Henry Robert Job? And I said, it just doesn't sound right to me. So <laughs> I stuck with Harriet Rose Job and then to a con contra, uh, fight that, I basically showed her statistics of the people in HR back maybe 15 years ago, that was done by a survey of people at, at SHRM, that the predominant uh, gender of people who've been in HR for a period of time, maybe 10 years or more, was female, in at least in America. And um, I just hung my hat on that, and I left it as Ms. Harriet Rose Job. And the book itself, started from a PowerPoint many years ago, and then it ended up um, me dressing up as a detective when I decided that I'm dealing with uh, a detective uh, story where Harriet Rose Job was found dead with a mouse cord wrapped around her neck. And I had uh, an invite from a disrupt HR uh, session here in Westchester okay. County in New York and I prepared for that and I put on a Burberry trench coat, which I had, and a detective's fedora, and I got a whistle and I got a badge. And I, I had not been to a Disrupt HR and I realized, ooh, I don't have control of these slides. You only have five minutes and it's 20 slides that you can max. But it led me to say, hey, this is gonna be fun if I expand it and make it into, uh, I think the book came. And then, uh, then after the book, when I thought about what I was doing with this body and I tried to write a, you know, it was a dark and stormy night as my first couple of pages uh, being a, a bad author. And then I opened it up into, okay, Harriet Rose job was found dead. Who are the suspects, et cetera, et cetera. And I, and that spilled out into basically a dump of all my anecdotal um, uh, stories and uh, feelings about the role of HR why a person in HR could be uh, targeted, who might want to get rid of HR, an HR person like Harriet Rose Job, and why. And it led to uh, motives and, and people in the book as a detective story. And I, and I embodied the people uh, in some fun ways. And then that led to the keynote which um, you may have shared and the users are, and your listeners have not. Um, but the keynote had me coming on stage, finding the body, kneeling over the body, finding the mouse cord wrapped around her necks. And then 
beginning to explore motives and who was around when the night she was killed. And some of those suspects were quite um, uh, fascinating. They, they ranged from Ms. Payroll, Payroll, Sue Systems, Systems, Ms. Shareholder, uh, Shareholder, mm-hmm. Baby Boomer, Baby Boomer, Millennial, Ted DaVenda, Jay Competition, I had Juan Managemento, otherwise known as Senior Management. All of these folks were interviewed by Detective Miller, finding out what they felt about Harriet Rowe's job and why they might have been a a participant in her demise. Whether it was murder or suicide was an open question, but it became clear that it was a conspiracy. And I'm not going to give away why, (laughs) but basically, the bottom line that led me to writing the book and building the book around this is that she, as an older woman who'd been in the trenches, in a cubicle, had what I call the fatal eyes, the letter I. She was irrelevant, considered irrelevant. She was considered indifferent. She was indecisive. She was considered incompetent. She wanted no new skills. She was inflexible. She didn't collaborate with anybody. She didn't embrace technology. She was an obstacle to many of these suspects who wanted uh, better, better things for the organization in which they all worked at. And they all had motives for her to get away to be put away. And that led to the keynote and a lot of fun with it. And over the years when I've had the keynotes, I would bring people up from the audience. I would have a dead body in front of me lying there uh, on a a mat uh, in a body outline and a crime scene tape. And it was a lot of fun. And I guess, as you may know me over the years, I'm not shy in front of a group and I like to be an actor. So the book uh, was basically a cautionary tale and why, uh, and, and in the book, I gave all kinds of other content as to how to avoid being considered uh, uh, those five eyes and, um, and what to have in terms of your knowledge and the concept of clout, C-L-O-U-T, how to get it and how to use technology in all of this to improve your strategic role in an organization. And that's been my life, dealing with HR technology to support the function of HR. So that's why that book was started. The oh, first I- book that led into that was Heroic HR, which also tied into the use of, of, of technology. So our listeners can understand this crazy guy and why we've remained friends. <laughs> and I thought it was so important for us to talk because. Mark sent me a copy of the book and my heart hurt. But when I reflected, when I, before I got into HR, I probably felt the same if I was being truly honest with myself um, because of course I was observing and really unaware of what HR did other than knowing that I was involved in the recruitment. So now that I am in HR though, I know that it is often not HR, but how HR is positioned, that I often see HR being blamed for having to follow collective agreement provisions or corporate policies. I've seen managers not want to manage, and so HR makes them do things, uh, like calling employees on behaviors. And In your book, you also talk about HR not exerting that sufficient clout. 
Correct. exerting that influence. I also know that I've been in those budget meetings. I've agitated from what I understood was much needed HR technology, but watched while money was allocated to what was perceived by the rest of the management team as more important. Yeah. Um, and of course, there was never enough money for all of us to right. get what we felt the organization needed. It wasn't for lack of trying. But the fact that you have written this book, and I know that you work with a lot of companies in, in the work that you do, it doesn't sound like from your perspective and from what your clients are telling you that people's perception of HR has changed much over the years. Um, there's a yes and a no to that uh, question, uh, Susan. Uh, a lot of it depends on the company, the type of company, the industry they're in, their history in, uh, in people management, now called workforce management, workforce uh, analytics as well. And um, I, I think a lot of it has changed over the last 10 to 15 years. And COVID certainly has had another strong impact on the need for and role of HR management and its own use of technology. And we'll get into that. But there's so much new and exciting technology uh, that is available at a price point that even the smaller companies, the small businesses can entertain and select a vendor. But let me, let me back up and say what I mean by an HR technology system. The, the, the abbreviation that most people are familiar with is HRIS, Human Resource Information Systems. I use that to mean an integrated HR, payroll, benefits, time and attendance, onboarding, and talent management, and performance management, and succession planning, and even a few more other pieces of functionality, all in one comprehensive master file that is now delivered over the web over in the cloud. Just 15 years ago, it was not. It was on premises. It was mainframe or a PC server or a mini computer. And the price point was way higher. Today, a small company, and I'm saying as small as 50 to 100 people, can purchase a license agreement with some very top tier vendors some of which people would know like ADP and Ceridian and the old uh, PeopleSoft and now Workday, even them, they offer functionality of an integrated system, one system of truth that has very exciting features and functions built in so that out of the box delivery, plain vanilla, a company can what I call tweak the system, configure the system, no coding necessary, have support by from a, a top tier good vendor and generate strong, attractive functionality to the workforce. And I emphasize the word attractive because it is those new generations, the generation Y and Zs that are in the workforce now that expect this of a company that they want to work for. They will not join a company that has a green screen. They will not join a company that doesn't have uh, a smartphone, iPad application for managers and employees to use. And all of the good vendors has, have recognized that. So all of the functionality that we could touch on tonight uh, is all about equal uh, accessibility by a smartphone, 
by an iPad, by a desktop, anywhere that person is based on rules and roles of security. And um, so that what's changed is the, the price point and the ability for um, a vendor to offer very strong functionality and to, to stay with the, um, the rush towards workforce analytics and predictive analytics, which I think is driving talent management overall. And also I wanna tie that in before I forget about it, because I'm beginning to sound like I do in front of my class, is something <laughs> that's sitting, sitting me, I start going off in tangents because I don't wanna lose that thought. COVID has increased the need for HR to be a strategic business partner. It, HR is in the center of everything with regard to the workforce uh, mm -hmm. well-being, the mental state, the anxiety, the stress, the tracking, the vaccination status in America, the mandate issues, um, the exemption issues, um, and also dealing with the, the great resignation as it's been yeah. recently called, and also still trying to attract uh, effective talent people to the workforce. And the way to attract a good uh, generation X, Y, or Z is by having effective technology that they see even before they become an employee. And that means onboarding, and that means recruiting, and that means all of the other things that are built in to yeah. this software. So the things that drove Harriet Rose's job uh, to her demise was the fact that she didn't want any of this new technology. She had her little fiefdom. She was not willing to expand her horizon. She didn't want a new vendor software. So Ted the vendor might've been a suspect. You um, managemento, senior managemento might've been a suspect <laughs> because he wanted a better things for the company. Um, I had other suspects like Rob Oddix, Robotics, and I had a whole bunch of other people that um, buzz improvement for business improvement, ed economy, the economy, all of these things were driving the fact that, hey, HR, make sure that you're on top of your act. And uh, luckily, um, that has happened because they have depended more and more on an integrated HR payroll benefits solution. And any CHRO now, um, of any company of any size, and they're not always called CHROs, they're called chief people officer or chief wellness officer, but they know the power of predictive analytics, workforce analytics, general metrics, and uh, it's all delivered by good effective software uh, yeah. for a reasonable price point. Yeah, being able to watch trends and that remote access. Yes. That, boy, you know, paper files or uh, needing to be at the computer in the, the office is yeah, absolutely uh, the, the, last, the last couple of years is just not workable anymore. So right. I certainly yeah. see the impetus for it. And so lovely to hear, and I know Mark, you and I talking before the podcast that the price point has come down and also that so many of those systems that used to be standalones have now been integrated and available as modules. Right. Uh, so that each system, each part talks to each other. Right. Uh, some of the basic features that every system must have uh, are really straightforward and, and kind of like um, considered the norm now. Employee self-service, manager mm -hmm. self-service, the ability for 
uh, an employee, a manager or any employee to generate an ad hoc report based on their role and security level, and then generate um, that report and not deal with Excel spreadsheets, but go right into a graphic depiction of, of layers of data on a pie chart. And every vendor worth their, their salt and who are the top tier that I call are able to provide the drill down capability where an end user can take the cursor and put it over a slice of the pie and see the 50 people that are in that particular colored slice. And here's the other key, Susan. They can get directly to any one of those 50 records without going out and logging in and, and accessing and wondering who these people are go right to the uh, the underlying data it's called drill down capability and get right into that record there's so much going on uh with these systems and the vendors especially those that are top tier and if i'm i don't mind naming some of them uh for your audience i mean we have uh the work days of this world we have the new ukg group which is the merger of ultimate software and chronos calling it ukg mm -hmm. We certainly have ADP, we have um, uh, Ceridian, we have all the pays, as I call them, Paylocity, Paycom, Paycor, Paychecks. Those are lesser than the top tier in my personal view as an independent consultant, because they started with payroll and just added more HR functionality where the organically driven uh, vendors that know what the importance of the function of HR uh, built it from scratch and had people in Washington, D.C. as lobbyists and they're up to date on legislation and they know the latest functionalities and they devote a lot of money to their research and development. So you have the top tier vendors like Workday and, and uh, some of the newer vendors aimed at small businesses like Namely and Bamboo HR and iSolve and iSims. And then you have best of breed vendors as well that just generate applicant tracking that just generate recruiting, that just generate timekeeping. <clears throat> but I always feel that an integrated one system of truth is the way to go. And we're gonna get into some of those um, uh, interesting new uh, yeah. oppor opportunities and technology a little bit further on the, in the podcast. So you wrote your first book almost a decade ago. Yeah. And it sounds as though your second book was just digging deep and having some fun with it. And I think I'm jumping around a little bit from how oh, we said, <laughs> said the podcast was gonna go, but I know you have a third book that you are starting to plant seeds in your head for. Did you wanna talk a little bit about where you're going with your third book? Yeah, I'm just jotting some ideas. I, I try to wanna, one of the highlights of the keynote, should anybody ever check it, check it out, is the resurrection of Harry Rose Job, uh, where I have the audience repeat after me something that raises her up from the lying in front of me in the body and at the crime scene. And, and then I said, well, you know what? I, I wrote this book, I called it The Death of HR, but clearly in my own thinking and everybody else's thinking and the excitement of H, about HR on LinkedIn and in all these other uh, uh, sources of uh, education and certifications, HR clearly is more so than ever a strategic partner. So I said, okay, I need to resurrect Harriet Rose's job. And, um, and I'm working on that as saying, well, how do I resurrect the person who I'm saying is, is dead? And I basically said, well, maybe I'll change my trench coat to a lab coat, be the mad doctor, 
<laughs> infuse Harriet Rose Jog with new blood and a new vision, along with people that are around the operating table, like uh, Diane Versity, Diversity, and, uh, and especially Connie Vid, COVID, who, okay. who really drove her to, to rise from the ashes and say, hey, I'm going to help stamp this out. And um, so I'm working on those types of characters that strengthen the role of the one system that's dealing with the workforce's well-being and mental health, physical health, vaccine status, and of course, dealing with um, the great resignation and the fact that uh, employees now have, have uh, a good opportunity to seek other positions if they're unhappy. And, and retention and talent management is a key word. And um, some of my new courses coming up next semester at NYU are going to be focused on talent management. And retention is a key thing. And uh, these new students or the new generations, uh, X is not X, Y and Z, uh, if they're not happy and they don't see a career path and they don't like the culture fit and they're not seeing diversity and they're not seeing inclusion and they're not seeing Black Lives Matter issues and they're not seeing community community outreach, they're not going to stay. And companies know that. And they just say, okay, we've got to, we've got to track them. We've got to figure out who's, who is a flight risk. And that leads to another aspect that I know you were going to ask me. I'm, about. I'm going to dive right in there. And yeah. I think you talked to, you were a guest on the podcast, talking talent with people scout about HR technology can yeah. combat staffing shortages in the health industry. And you talked about um, software that can assist with this. Yep. Uh, take it from there, Mark. Well, one of the best things I've seen from software vendors, uh, and more so now than even a year ago, is uh, the concept of talent management and identifying flight risk. Uh, and they tie that in with a very old uh, mechanism called the nine box model. And it's, a, it's an easy thing to picture. It's uh, a, uh, a rectangle. It's got nine boxes, three up and three up, uh, three across. And it's low, medium, high. The, the x-axis is potential. The y-axis is performance. So if you want to be a key employee, you've got high performance and high potential. You're in the upper right of the nine boxes. So it's three upon three upon three. Low, medium, high, low, mm -hmm. medium, high. If you're down at the lower left corner, for example, you're low, low, low performance, low potential. In effect, the language some people put to that model is dead wood. If, you, if an employee falls into that category through many measurements, all of which, by the way, are maintained by an integrated system, all the performance management, all the succession planning, all of that, companies are able to identify their key employees. Okay, and so you've what? talked to me about a. Yeah, I'm coming. Oh, to you're that. you're in the top top corner. You're going there. Yeah. So if you're Stop. in the top corner, I've seen some vendors then take this concept and generate a simple report saying, okay, here are all the employees that have high potential and high performance, and they're listed in the top right corner, either graphically or on some sort of uh, report. But more so now, companies are saying, well. Uh, Susan Nay, she's in the top employee, she's in the upper right-hand corner, but they've generated a, a, new, a new metric called a predictive analytic called flight risk that takes that nine box model and alongside the name of an employee, say Ms. Nay, 
there might be a small bubble or a large bubble. And that bubble is an algorithm using artificial intelligence and built-in algorithms into delivered software that says Miss Nay is, an, is a key employee, but she has a large bubble next to her name because we believe that she is, without even Miss Nay knowing, she is a flight risk. Why? Because looking at her salary compared to other points of data that we have access to, Miss Nay is underpaid. She hasn't been recognized. She hasn't been rewarded. There's been no external outreach. There's been no outreach to Miss Nay for additional training. There's no succession plan. She might decide that her salary or find out her salary is under, under her peers in her same title. Because we have that data. And vendors like ADP have access to Bureau of Labor Statistics and all mm -hmm. that. And they have other aspects of understanding when a person is happy in a company or not. And that's called sentiment analysis, Susan. So some companies have built in um, an analysis of every employee's um, responses to uh, surveys and uh, unstructured language in memos, looking at the words they type to determine whether this was a happy word or an angry word called sentiment, employee sentiment. So they could look at uh, Mr. Miller and see that uh, his reaction to post surveys on an HR technologies uh, generated uh, executive survey put out by uh, a manager within minutes to get feedback. Uh, and he'll see happy words or, or unhappy words from various employees. The system could judge those words and say, oh, Miller is unhappy about this idea of a of a new uh, policy or something like that. Or in general, they could look at Miller's emails over the last six months and see a lot of negative negativity just by tone. Now there's privacy issues and all that that mm -hmm. are still there, but the whole concept of sentiment analysis and artificial intelligence in the underpinning of an HR system, tracking all the performance data and everything, I tell my students and I tell anybody that listens, listen, when you're working with a company provided device, a laptop or an iPhone or a desktop, uh, there's no privacy. Every keystroke they could watch. And you have to be careful what you write and be careful what you say. And I also tell my students, don't go on Facebook with any drinks in your hand and don't, don't uh, do anything. You don't want your parents to see and have pictures of it on <laughs> Facebook because the recruiters will be looking at that as well. All of this is tied into the overall picture of an employee and that picture comes directly from the data that's within an HR system uh, itself, along with these other pieces of it, like artificial intelligence and sentiment analysis and flight risk. Um, one of the key concepts that um, I like to talk about is that the HR function has to move from data management to information craftsmanship. Mm -hmm. So it's not just raw data, it's taking that data and converting it into actionable insights, which is um, in effect, letting HR be a strategic business partner mm -hmm. and doing predictive analytics, looking at 10 years worth of turnover previously, projecting it forward, and then saying to senior management, guess what? We don't have enough salespeople to sell the next model of car that comes down off the assembly line. And that's due to hit the showrooms in two years where we don't have any salesmen because we may not have enough salesmen rather because the turnover of salespeople in this Northeast mm -hmm. region 
is X percent and our 200 salesmen will be down to 121 and we need 200 because we got two models coming down and we know this strategically. So mm -hmm. HR says, yeah, we're pointing this out to you. We better start recruiting now in advance to be ready. And that's just actionable insight. Very, very yeah. powerful. And yeah, definitely. Um, I don't think there's a lot of that happening, um, certainly in smaller organizations, but incredible to find the, to learn of the potential. I'm going to take you to another of your keynote speech or a keynote speech actually. Um, and again, this gives our listeners a, a taste of who you are. HR and benefits folks are from Mars. Systems <laughs> people are from Venus. How two alien species should communicate based on the popular bestseller, of course, Mar men are from Mars and women are from Venus by John Gray. Now this session explores the use of communications and how the lack of or present of effective communication plays a significant role in the success or the potential failure of an HR system design and the development um, yeah. and the related business process improvements. Yeah. Um, yeah. Can, you, can you share a little bit more about this? Because communication is so yeah. critical. Uh, it's absolutely critical and it's the uh, underpinning of effective um, system implementation. It's one thing to know that there are software vendors out there and that there are many options and many choices. It's the next, the, the next thing on the plate though, is to say, well, which one is the best fit for our company? And that goes into a, an entire series of steps and workflows that I've really focused on in my consultancy for the last 30 years, doing the needs analysis and generating requirements into an RFP, request for proposal, and then getting that to a small pool of vendors and forcing them into a, uh, a formatted detailed proposal of what their system could do. And then having a core project team go through the steps of evaluating written proposals, and then on-site product demonstrations, and doing due diligence and finally picking a vendor. And that's just the first step. And then there's the implementation and then eventually the go live. For companies of some size, this could be a years long process yeah. from doing the needs analysis and the requirements definition. And the key to that is executive sponsorship, a budget set aside that's a knowledgeable budget that they know what about what is the bread box and how how much could this cost and people like me are out there giving them guidance and saying okay it's going to be maybe twenty dollars per employee per month to run this system for you at a certain company once you go live and there's also an implementation fee but you still have to pick the right vendor and the only way to do that is getting your requirements documented and having an executive sponsor showing everybody in the organization why a new system, a new integrated HR payroll benefits, talent management, learning management, also timekeeping, uh, succession planning, all of these things can be integrated into one system or just a few, it depends on the environment mm -hmm. of the company. Mm -hmm. One of the things I do with my NYU class and my other universities when I do start the semester, and they all have no clue as to the power of HR, is we end up listing over 20 to 30 disparate functions within the world of HR management that report possibly up to a CHRO or a CEO. Mm -hmm. 
uh, well, certainly the most senior person in HR, it used to be called the CHR, and now it's the CHRO, now it's the CPO, the Chief People Officer, or some names like that. Yeah, but they yeah. are astounded that there are 30 or so, 20 to 30 at least, functions that have managers and departments that all could roll up into the top level, most senior person in the company. Uh, like somebody in charge of EEO affirmative action, somebody in charge of diversity, somebody in charge of HR technology, uh, performance management, compensation, benefits, mm -hmm. payroll. Um, huge. It goes on and on. Mm -hmm. And this, I believe there's no other function in any company anywhere in the world that has this breadth of, of, of knowledge and breadth of function that's, that rolls up into the function called human resources management. It's eye-opening to somebody that thought HR was just the people that help you uh, find the job and terminate you if necessary. And it's strange, Susan, I have to share this. In some cultures, they think that HR has to approve a person's resignation. I say, no. Oh, you no. told me that, yeah, yeah. This is most of my students that are taking engineering uh, classes at Tandon, NYU Tandon, and many of them are from Southeast Asia. And if you think about it, in their culture in China, um, they don't have that kind of uh, democracy that we do, where if somebody gets up and quits, that's the story, and the company will accept it and and maybe make a counteroffer. Where over there, they think that when somebody resigns, it has to be approved before it could go through. Interesting. Say, no, Interesting. it doesn't happen that way. Yeah. But but anyway, the whole concept of a needs analysis hinges on a company understanding what's wrong today and where they want to be tomorrow. So the as-is environment, their points of pain, the things that are causing problem, whether it's every time they run a payroll, there's no, no effective gross to net, or there's problems with the calculation, or they can't, or this system that they have currently can't handle a mid-pay period termination, or they don't have employee self-service, they don't have manager self-service, they can't do an ad hoc report, they're depending on a lot of Excel manipulation, and the, yeah. the HR function is totally ineffective and inefficient. So they need an executive sponsor to say, we're gonna make this change, and it's gonna cost this amount of money, we have a sense as to what it will be, but let's document it, let's make sure we know what we want in the future, document our points of pain, and then show the vendors what our points of pain are and have them tell us and then show us how their solution, their software over the cloud will make that pain go away, at, at least if not all, most of it. And the vendor that does the best job mitigating the points of pain should be the vendor that the evaluation team goes through and scores highly and picks as their leading contender. And then, the, then they get into contract negotiations. It's, it's a lengthy process, both the um, determining all of the factors that you've just spoken of, and that's why the role that you play in being hired to, to lead that is so critical. Um, I, I know I've been frustrated because the, the vendor would send marketing people and the marketing people had no clue. I mean, they were just interested in selling to us. Right, right. Um, as opposed to really understanding what the needs or what process we needed to go through right. to make sure that we got the system that was the best fit for the needs of the right. organization. Right. So 
it's 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 fascinating. And I've been the bearer, I paid to be the bearer of bad news to some of my clients where I'm the gentleman that they say, call up the vendor and tell them they didn't make this deal and they didn't win the business. And therefore they lost out on a million dollars or something. And basically um, the good vendors recognize that if they lose the business, it's usually because they just weren't the right fit. And they're able to accept that. And they they basically wish us well, me and my client. And um, they try to keep a line of communications open even after they're told they didn't win the business. And most people are professional, but every so often you'll get people that are really annoyed that they didn't win and and they start uh, pointing fingers and and uh, making excuses. and And, you know, I counsel my clients that we really want a vendor to be in a strategic partnership with us. We don't want a salesperson. We don't want a vendor sales relationship. We want a business relationship with a vendor because basically when you're spending this amount of time and if you do the math, it can be hundreds of thousands of dollars for a company of a thousand people or so. You don't wanna do this every two years. You want these software products uh, to uh, be upheld and maintained by a, uh, a wholesome vendor that provides uh, ongoing effectiveness and efficiencies and upgrades and knows uh, the regulations, the changes in legislation, uh, has a good user group, provides training, all of that good stuff. And yeah. it's not a process that a company wants to do more, more than once. And yeah, there's, there's complexities in any company that got interfaces that have to be built and um, data movements from old systems to new questions about what to do with old history from an old system mm -hmm. replacing yeah uh, and you need a vendor to guide you and one who's seen it all and a consultant to guide that vendor as well and that's the role that i sometimes take and um, negotiations i'm not a lawyer but i'm almost close to a lawyer because i'm there defending my clients in terms of um, making sure that they're getting an effective support mechanism for years to come and, uh, and keep the pricing under control. And, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And, and I'm very positive about the vendor community. I, I see it in the last five, 10 years, and I see it more importantly even now with how they've responded to COVID. Uh, if you go on ADP's website, there's hundreds of pages of data about dealing with uh, COVID and how to uh, educate your employees. Even non-ADP clients have access to it. Legislation, um, uh, how to deal with the, uh, the various uh, American pr uh, protection programs for money to small businesses. ADP gave all their clients that kind of guidance as to where to go to apply for business loans and all of that. And some of the other vendors did as well. So I have full confidence that the better vendors who have been around, who have good clients, and by the way, you still want to do reference checking, you want to mm -hmm. do the diligence, you want to do, and that goes into the final factors that you end up scoring for each of your final vendors and picking the one that wins. And it could be a numbers game. And it's fascinating and fun. And, and you build these relationships with the vendors, as I do, and with my clients. And, and uh, yeah, somebody has to get the business, but at least there's a process. Yeah. I mean, 
uh, I've been told by people that oh, we don't need a consultant. We go to Wikipedia, we go to Google, we can Google who are the top 10 vendors in HR technology, and then we could send out an email to these top 10 vendors. They'll, they'll certainly call us back with a sales guy. Mm -hmm. And um, I say, yeah, you can go ahead and do that, but are you really getting the best yeah. fit for what you need? It's up to them to decide. It's a, it's a huge expenditure. Um, and, and even the smaller ones that you were talking about, for those small companies, it's a large expenditure for them, even though it might not seem like much for, for larger places. Yes, I'm skipping all over our questions because you are too. <laughs> I know. But that's well, if we're, it's, always that, it's always that way with us. We're just talking. That's true. That's true. The top of the head, I hope your audience will, will follow what we're talking about. Oh, yeah. It's easy to encapsulate that uh, near the end to talk about. But uh, I don't know if we're there yet. We will be. But... Uh, it's just I hope I hope I hope listeners I do hope you're thinking oh goodness I hope they are close to the end hey I'm going to take you to <laughs> before you get a chance to respond to that another keynote was on the needed role of HR in instilling workplace cyber awareness and I think that's oh, really yeah. important yes. uh, particularly with everybody working or many people working online um, tell us more just a couple of points on that uh, everybody thinks cybersecurity is an IT and security problem. But the basis for that is uh, the culture of the organization and the biggest cyber th threat, and this has been well documented by people in governments all around the world, the biggest threat to, uh, to a company being a victim of a cyber attack is the insider threat from their own employees by doing mm -hmm. stupid things, by not having effective password management, um, by uh, even having an employee who's another angry employee that wants to do damage to a company that they feel has not treated them well. So they're walking around with a USB key in their lapel jacket or pocket and, and uh, somebody might even be blackmailing an employee who's financially strapped. And you never know, one colleague to another doesn't know what his cubicle mate or office mate is dealing with on a personal basis and it's feasible that that person could be a bad actor and decide to take, take a USB key and stick it into a desktop and take out everybody's W-2s, especially around tax time uh, and or financial data or salary data or something like that. And one of the things that um, uh, I talk about is that HR has a very important big role in concert with IT and security to build a culture of um, uh, awareness to cyber threats and allow whistleblowers to say, you know, my cubicle mate, uh, Miller, he's behaving weird. Every time I'm behind him, uh, he shuts his laptop down. Or I see him bad-mouthing the company over in the cafeteria when we're talking to each other. He's not being very uh, kind about the company and how he's been treated by that. See, he's a disgruntled employee. Uh, and that whistleblower has the ability and the uh, the means to raise a red flag with no with no uh, consequences to that person, mm -hmm. even if it turns out to be uh, a, a false alarm. But that culture to allow awareness, to build that awareness is one thing. The other thing is the culture of good password management yeah. with absolutely no exceptions. Mm -hmm. To have multi-factor authentication, a must from the president to the janitor of any company, no exceptions. And the policies have to be um, uh, managed by 
uh, HR with legal and IT and security, uh, building those policies and having employees acknowledge those policies and knowing that there's consequences if they, they screw up. And uh, any policy affecting the workforce has a combination of HR people and legal people involved. And so cybersecurity or a company that has been breached, there's policies in America that they have to notify every person of their records being breached. Not, I'm not talking about the people who shop at Target or you're not, you know that LinkedIn has been breached a while back and all their records were taken. Target was breached, but I'm talking about within a company, um, mm -hmm. phishing. Yeah. Uh, phishing uh, is another one that's another threat. Yeah. So yeah. It's, all, it's all HR needs to be on top of this with IT and security. They need to also say to their recruiters, we need cyber experts in our company. And therefore, let's speed up our time to fill metric. Let's make that time to fill a lot shorter because mm -hmm. if we still put these cyber experts that are graduating from engineering schools like NYU, like Caltech, like MIT, uh, like uh, your universities in Canada, um, the technical universities, we will lose them to the companies that have only maybe a two week time frame to make them an offer. We do typically, our company might take three months of five levels of interviews. We can't mm -hmm. do that to get these hot shots. Yeah, you're gonna, you're gonna lose good people. But HR has to talk to their recruiters. So that's another reason why HR needs to be involved. So it's insider threat, culture of awareness, phishing, education, and delivering and, and uh, obtaining and then delivering uh, education and training videos that is required, just like sexual harassment videos to the entire workforce that they have to see it and acknowledge it. And that could be part of the onboarding process mm -hmm, that mm -hmm. I haven't touched much on, but that's another feature function of a major grid system is the ability to do this onboarding prior to the first day of showing up and having an applicant who's accepted an offer go into the HR system even prior to them being an employee and seeing a video, welcoming them from their president of the company or to their direct boss, seeing other colleagues before they even show up. And with the Zoom and with the fact that we're working from home, that's critical. Mm -hmm. and, and an employee doesn't see that, or put it this way, an applicant who doesn't see that, it's not going to work for that company. Why should they when they can go to a really cool place and enjoy the user experience uh, that is given to them, even when they just attract a, a, a apply for a job with their LinkedIn profile, have the ability to upload it, get it into the applicant system, have an initial screening by Zoom and go on and on and get an, uh, an offer within a couple of weeks. Mm -hmm. And But yet once they accept that offer, have all this stuff done before their first day of work. It's a win-win situation. Yeah, just being because nimble. The company, the company gets everything filled out and, and there's no orientation of boring two days after your first day. Imagine showing up at a company and you're not expected. There's nobody there to greet you. The, the boss that you think you were working for is on vacation that day. Uh, there's no place for you to sit. You don't have your systems ready for you. You don't have your business cards printed. You don't have your email address. I wouldn't work for a company. A like different, that. yeah, absolutely different experience. So that's another piece of a good system, by the way. Okay, you can tell. Now we got back to there. I'm running Hi. out of there. Right. You can tell there's a fourth book coming after the third uh, one. No, no. <laughs> I think we actually, they're all in different order than we anticipated. <laughs> that's uh, but hey, that's just, that's Mark. Um, so what can I say? 
Mark has always been a delight. And whether it's uh, you've used, I think when I first learned from you, it was a clip that you used from the Clint Eastwood's Dirty Harry movie. And oh. it wasn't very nice about personnel. That's true. But now the students that I teach never even heard of Clint Eastwood. Yeah, yeah. No, we no have less Dirty up. Harry. Oh, yeah, and then you're using the day the world stood still. I think that's where you got clout yeah, from. Was, um, yeah, yeah. And I of mean, course, you know, you have to have fun, and that's that's really my my closing thought. I know we're nearing the end of your time, and I've had such a great time. But it, you know what? If you think about what we've li- just, we are living through, and now with the Omicron variant, we are living through a pandemic uh, that started in 2020. It's a once in a lifetime, once in a generational thing. Um, in, the, in the future, uh, people will say, wow, you lived through the pandemic of 2020? And how did that affect you, Mark and Sue? How did that affect you, your personal life? How did that affect you in your work life? And, and books are gonna be written about this pandemic uh, like they were written about World War I and World War II and the plague and all of that. And, and the only thing I could say is that it taught us to, to live life and be flexible. And another key word is agile and be agile and, and uh, depend on a lot your gut reaction, but also have fun and don't take anything for granted and, and, and uh, think about the things that you like to do and 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 do what makes you feel good about your job and and work for a company that you feel good about their environment their culture and how they use um their workforce and the way that they use their workforce is dependent on one thing the underlying data that's in one system of truth called an hr system Uh, end of statement really it's um it's all based on how a company uh, treats you with feeling, with empathy, and with uh, understanding you are a human being living through this pandemic, and you have your own career aspirations and your own desires, and we need to be flexible. You can work at home. You have young children. You, you have to care about them. This is a once-in-a-generation thing that we're living through, and companies are learning just like you and I are learning. And uh, we're not finished learning. Every day it uh, sometimes gets worse and sometimes gets better. But uh, it's it's a crazy time, and it's not going to end tomorrow, that's for sure. So, but evenings like tonight, talking with you, my old friend, is makes it all worthwhile. <laughs> and... If you want to see Mark in his trench coat, there's some wonderful clips. Um, I'm going to put all the information about uh, how to contact Mark in the show notes for the podcast. Um, You can go and look up some of these uh, wonderful, this other uh, podcast that he did. And um, I do encourage you to purchase his book and to watch for the next ones that I know will be be coming from from Mark and I just I would love to be I know how much fun it was to be a student in your classroom many years ago now and uh, just watching you with the energy and <laughs> going down different rabbit holes and okay no we weren't going to talk about that till later in the podcast I'm sorry I can I can imagine what your students notes look like um, Mark has been a delight thank you thank so you, much I, for saying yes 
my pleasure. It was an honor to uh, to have this uh, interaction with you. Um, I'm proud of everything you have accomplished since the day when I met you. Um, you're a wonderful host, a wonderful podcast, and a wonderful person. And I'm glad you're in my sphere as, as well. So uh, thank you for this opportunity. Uh, you know how to reach me. I'm here anytime you need me. So he's he's the the systems guru. Um, I know you're open to if people have got questions. Um, yes, indeed. Can email you, um, and certainly you can set them in the right direction if they're not looking to work with you directly. Uh, you are based in New York, but I know you travel across the United States. Have done a bit of work in Canada. Yes. So yes. again, uh, lots lots of information, and um, Mark's always fun to, and of course, listening to that lovely accent i have an accent yeah <laughs> i guess it's me that has the accent anyways we're going to bring this to thank a you, close Susan. um thank you to to mark to you our listeners who have stayed with us and hopefully are a little more enlightened on um what kinds of technologies are available and um as interested as i am in changing people's perception of human resources and these systems absolutely are our requirement for us to be able to uh, be effective in the work that we're doing. It is time for us both to fly, uh, bring the podcast to a close. We hope that you have walked away with a few nuggets and some smiles, if nothing else. And uh, I'll be back again next week. I hope you will join me as you guessed it. You dare to soar. We believe you can. It's Mark and Susan signing out. Well, we've reached our destination for today. Time to lower those wheels and prepare for landing. Thank you for joining me. If I said something that resonated with you, please subscribe to the podcast and to share it with others. It would be awesome if you also took the time to provide a review, whatever your favorite social media sites are. If you have a question or an area that you hope I'll cover in a future session, please send me a note either to my website, www.effectingchangefromwithin.com or to my email, susangene at gmail.com. I look forward to our next time together. In the meantime, soar high. I believe you can. Susan signing off. Thanks again for joining me.